Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 329 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher series. How are you, Al? I am okay. Thank you, Valerie. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. What's been happening in our world? About as much as has been happening in anyone's world, really. Not much. (laughs) (laughs) Not much of anything. Uh, Yeah. No, I have really, honestly, I wish I had things to tell you, but I have nothing to tell you. Fair enough. Mm. It's Mother's Day coming up. Have you got anything to tell us? um, Have I got anything to tell you? I'm having one of those, I don't know, weeks, you know what I mean? It's, I know I say this a lot, but obviously the need in my house is deep for this. I need to declutter some more. Oh. I'm just looking around and yeah, this is not good. Well, have you done anything about any of it since we last discussed it? Yeah, so I play pick up, put down. Yeah, yeah I, I pick something up and I have to put it in its right place. But I do it for, you know, 10 minutes. I have got my music on and then I just get bored. Yeah. Are you actually yeah. getting any of it out the door? Oh, no. Like I just decluttering. Put it <laughs> you just move it. So you're just moving it all around. I don't think that that is the definition of decluttering. <laughs> I feel as though decluttering requires actual removal from the premises. So true, so true. And my place is overflowing with books because obviously we can't work from the office and so all of the books and all of our giveaways, they're, they're piling up here. Got some great giveaways coming up. Um, oh, good. But, uh, yeah, it means my place is a mess. But anyway, let's move Anywho, on. Anywho, let's move on. Let's please move on. What are you doing for Mother's Day? What are your kids going to surprise you with? What do they usually surprise you with? Oh, there's usually cake involved and there's oh, – nice. we often – well, the, the disappointing thing about it is that we often go out for lunch or something. We won't be doing that. Oh, no. Um, yeah. But to be honest, my mum lives nearby, so we actually more, you know, take – do stuff with my parents. Yes, yes. So it's not really – I mean, it's – you know, it is my Mother's Day, but it's really not really my Mother's Day. It's someone else's Mother's Day that I just tag along on, you know, it's that mm, aspect. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I don't know what we'll do this year, probably – the, it'll probably be much the same as every other day. I do, I'm really struggling with the Groundhog Day aspect. I know. Of, I forget what day it is. I really of this, it. yeah, I know. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I prefer the weekdays where at least, you know, there's stuff happening in the sense mm. of work and, you know, things happening online and people are launching books and there's things going on. Weekends are just dragging, dragging, mm. dragging, dragging. Um, but anyway, that's what we're doing. That's where we are. That's what we do. Yes, well, if uh, people are struggling for gift ideas on Mother's Day, you can always get them a gift voucher from the Australian Writers' Centre. So just go to our website and click on the gift vouchers because I'm sure that a lot of mothers would appreciate that. Or get them some books. Yeah, yeah. get them our book. Get them yes. Val and Al for Mother's Day. <laughs> if you've got a mum or you yourself, like you could just, you know, put that handy hint out there. Um, if you've got a mum who's keen on a bit of writing or has always said, I'm going to write that book one day, now's the time. Give her Val and Al for Mother's Day. So That's You right. Want to Be a Writer, the book. Yeah, and you can find out more at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au slash book. All right, so um, we have sort of like a non-announcement. I know. We? <laughs> we, do have, we do have a non-announcement. You should probably make the announcement. I feel like you're the announcer oh, of this team. Okay, so if it wasn't for the current world events, we would have been announcing that we were headlining at Vivid 2020 this year. <laughs> I know. We were going to get you all together again. We were going to do the stuff and have the chats. We had an amazing panel Line up. lined yep. up. Oh, so good. And yep. now we'll, we're not doing it. So yep. I don't know. Maybe we need to do some kind of 
special live thing in the Facebook group on the day that yes. we were supposed to do Vivid. Supposed or to do Vivid. So we were going to do it on the 30th of May and it was going to be on uh, Level 6 at the Museum of Contemporary <gasps> Art. We would have had 200 of you in the same room as we did last year. We sold out last year. And as Al said, we had lined up an awesome panel, which we were so excited about. And we were literally about to announce it all when all of this hit. Everything so got this cancelled. is our non-announcement a non-announcement <laughs> and we're so sad that we won't be seeing you at vivid and yes. i'm also really sad that we won't be in that amazing room looking out over circular oh, key beautiful wasn't just it? with a microphone oh anyway <laughs> with the microphone with the microphone i just well you know there's just something about being the person with the mic that just it's it's not it was, a bad feeling it was so good to connect with everyone last it was, year. It was. We and I think had, we had a great day. Like I just oh, think I it was a such a great day. And then we went and had the signing and the drinks down in the at the we bar. We had the, and... the after party. Mm. But, uh, yes, so we're speaking very wistfully about not being able to connect with you guys. <laughs> but, yeah, Al and I will have a chat about potentially doing some kind of online alternative or or something like that <laughs> yeah something we'll do something so apart from our non-announcement al you have an interesting link on your website this week i have a link for all of those parents out there that constantly write to me and email me and message me and say how do i get my kid interested in writing um because you know it's not always easy and i don't know if other parents are experiencing the same thing that we are experiencing here at present, but there is a huge level of ennui about, yeah. about online learning and about, you know, engagement. Um, and, you know, my guys are generally fairly motivated kids in their own way, uh, but there's just a just, just a why are we bothering kind of feel. So uh, Zanny Louise, who is a uh, children's author of 16 books for kids, including picture books, junior fiction and a whole bunch of other things, um, approached me about a guest post idea and I could not get her to write it fast enough because I was uh, pretty excited about it. It's called How to Spark Your Kids Writing Fire. Um, now, Zanny's got a lovely blog and uh, website and she often is, you know, shows um, on Instagram and things like that. You know, she does a lot of hands-on stuff with her kids um, and she's talking here about ideas to help spark your kids' love of writing. Um, and, of course, one of the things that Zanny likes to do, and she does this not not just with her own kids but even when she does her school visits, and that is to get the kids outside um, because, you know, being out in nature, sitting under a tree, in a hammock, in a treehouse, whatever it is that you have, is a way of sort of shifting the mindset. Like mm. kids were sitting at desks in front of computers um, have a certain mindset and the minute you take them outside and start to get them to observe the natural the natural world around them, um, it's, it's inspiring for their writing in a different way. And it's something that, you know, I do as an adult in the sense that, you know, we, I've long talked about my my walking and how if I'm stuck with something, I will take myself outside for a walk because it just shifts something in your mind and often by the time you come back inside, you know, you've resolved the plot problem, you've got yes. an idea for a story, something different, you know. So changing the scenery um, is a good way to change the attitude and I think that that was – I thought that was a great little um, – uh, a great little tip. The other one she talks about is is journaling and how important that can be for kids and that's yes. something, again, that I have talked about a lot um, because when kids write in a way that they know that no one is going to read, yep. it helps them to develop their own writing voice, very, very important thing. Um, and then she talks about a very fun exercise that she she does with her own kids where uh, they create characters together and then they once they have a pile of characters, you can make a mini book and you can create a little story. And um, So anyway, she's got five different tips there on the post, which is on my website at alisontay.com. We will put the link in the show notes. But if you're struggling to get your kids, you know, motivated or interested or engaged with writing, um, it's a great way to kind of, you know, kickstart them. Yeah, fantastic. Great post over at Alison's blog, alisontate.com. Now, um, wanted to alert everyone about something alert. because we have been getting so many queries about creative nonfiction. Now, creative nonfiction 
is basically a genre of um, book where it's non-fiction but written with really literary techniques. I'm the biggest fan of this genre. I absolutely love it. We've had a number of authors that we've interviewed on the podcast um, who write creative non-fiction. Um, Stephanie Wood, who wrote uh, that uh, book Fake, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, Gabrielle Koslovich, we interviewed her about her uh, book Whiteley on Trial, which is an absolutely fantastic book. Um, some of some really good creative nonfiction um, that I've read recently. One of the best books I've read in a long time is Bad Blood by John Carreyrou. Absolutely brilliant creative nonfiction. You might recognise it in people like Peter Fitzsimon, who often writes it, or Richard Feidler. So creative nonfiction is, a, and, and it's one of the best-selling um, genres in Australia today. Mm-hmm. So we have a course in creative nonfiction, and um, you know maybe you want to write a book or something about a particular period in history that fascinates you, or you've had an unusual life experience that you feel compelled to share. So this course will guide you through the process of crafting your knowledge and experiences and insight into a real piece of work that reads like a compelling novel, but it is non-fiction. So we're taking um, interest at the moment. You can register your interest at writercentre.com.au slash creative non-fiction because anyone who registers their interest early always gets a little bit of a bonus when it finally launches, and it will launch um, in some weeks. But uh, register your interest now at writercentre.com.au slash creative nonfiction. And, of course, if there's particular things that you want to know um, in this course, because we're in the throes of developing it now, just message me. Um, I'd love to know. But I just love, love reading creative nonfiction. Um it's, you know, they always say truth is stranger than fiction and it's so true. So, so true. true. That is mm. so true. Now, we have an awesome competition this week. We have three copies of Husband Replacement Therapy <laughs> by Kathy <Right>. Lett. <laughs> of course, you know, the fantastic Kathy Lett. After a few too many glasses of champers, Ruby's 50th birthday speech doesn't exactly go to plan. Ruby takes a moment in the spotlight to reveal what she really thinks of every one of her guests. She accuses her husband Harry of having an affair and blasts her mother for a lifetime of playing her three daughters against each other. As the stunned gathering gawks at Ruby, the birthday girl concludes with the throwaway comment that she has terminal cancer. She, she has cashed in her life savings and plans on taking her two sisters cruising into the sunset for a dose of husband replacement therapy. Courageous or ruthlessly selfish? And do they even want to go with her now that she's cast herself off into social Siberia? So Kathy Lett, of course, has written countless bestsellers starting at the age of, I don't know, I think it was 16 or 18 with Puberty Blues, an iconic Australian um novel. Uh, And if you want your chance to win one of three copies, go to writercentre.com.au slash win. That's writercentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 11th of May. All right. Al. (laughs) Are you ready for the word of the week? (laughs) I am. Yes, of course I am, Val. I'm always excited about it. Song Fra. I don't even know I'm pronouncing it right. Song fra. Okay, I know the word. I don't think I would have pronounced it like that. How would you pronounce it? I I just spell it first for everyone. S-A-N-G-F-R-O-I-D. Song fra. All right, I don't think I've ever pronounced it out loud, but I always have just in my head pronounced it as sang Freud. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And is it pronounced differently to that? Because it's from the French, but it's not French. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> so anyone out there who would like to share that with us? Uh, yeah, but like French. cafe's from the French, but it's not French, but we don't say cafe. Do we? <laughs> no. Or resume. We don't but say I resume. don't know that I would go with sang, sang for, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right. This comes from the French meaning cold blood and refers to coolness of mind. Can you possibly just in future choose words that you can pronounce because that would make it so much easier for Maybe all of us. Maybe I am pronouncing it right and I know I'm going to get lots of messages correcting me from all of the French speakers out there. But I I'm know. having a go, sang froid. <laughs> so you might say she exhibited incredible sang froid. Sang froid. <laughs> sang froid. While managing the entire crisis. 
There you go. <laughs> I don't, I've never ever like I have seen that word used a million times. I don't think I've ever actually like written it in a sentence, but I have seen it everywhere, and I have never in my entire life pronounced it. So there you go. I know. So so I'm brave. I'm brave for having a go. So. <laughs> That's, I'm, I, that's one that's definition. Yes, but I have a bonus. I have a bonus for everyone. A bonus. Lucky not, you, because no, that not, was a, you're not allowed to do bonuses. Yeah, yeah, bonus yeah. words. Mm, this is a this is a bonus because okay. we have a. Um, it was in our newsletter, and it's also on our blog, so you can read it over at the Writer Center blog. Um, and it is about the origins of souped up. You know how you can have a car that's really souped up. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you know where that came from? I assume mm. it was like supercharged or something like that. I don't See, know. That's what most people think that it's something to do with that, you know, supercharged. So, you've got a supercharged, you know, engine in your Mustang or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is actually soup, as in a bowl of soup. Oh, there you yes. Go. Because back in oh, the olden days, the word soup was slang for narcotics and when you injected oh. narcotics into a horse it ran faster so that's where it came up came well that's from. funny because i would always have spelt it s-o-u-p-e-d because mm. that's how i've seen it spelt over the years but i would have always imagined that that was just some kind of you know evolution of words. evolution of mm. the word so they all right you got yeah. me with that one I liked that one much better than the faux faux French. (laughs) So am I – I'm going to give Dean credit for that, not you. Yes, yes. (laughs) Dean wrote that Q&A, which you can read over at the Writer's Center blog. You got me, Dean. I'm in. (laughs) All right. Who's our writer in residence this week? Uh, Our writer in residence, (laughs) speaking of pronunciation, this is going so well, Valerie. So well. Um, Our writer in residence this week is the lovely Anna Waitley. Um, This is part of our debut author series and she is a hashtag love OzYA debut author and also a hashtag own voices author. And we had a lovely lovely chat about, you know, her first manuscript and how it came to be. Anna Waitley writes YA stories that engage with diversity and the depth of human experience. Her debut Own Voices novel, Peter Liars Rating Normal, is out in May with Alan and Unwin. Anna has also written an essay for the Growing Up Disabled in Australia anthology, published by Black Ink Books, which will be coming out in early 2021. Welcome to the program, Anna. Hi, thank you so much for having me on, Alison. Right. Let us talk about your debut novel because, of course, this is part of our debut authors series, which we're doing um, specifically to support, um, you know, debut authors who have been somewhat hamstrung by the (laughs) current (laughs) world environment. Um, So let's talk about your debut novel, Peter Liars Rating Normal. What is it all about and where did the idea come from? So Peter Liar's Rating Normal um, is about Peter Liar, who's a teenager living in the south of Brisbane. She's neurodivergent, so she has ADHD, uh, ASD, sensory processing disorder like myself, and she follows all the social rules, and that's something you hear uh, overtly in the novel as she's going about her day, and she rates, obviously, how normal uh, she thinks she's appeared uh, or not, and it's going quite well for her. She's very good at her masking behaviours until she falls in love with the new girl and they go on the school ski trip down to Perisher and everything starts to unravel and I think she realises that the rules don't actually make a lot of sense. Uh, and so she has to grapple with how to move forward there uh, and which rules to keep and which ones to break. And so that's like the basic pitch. Yeah. Um, no, that's an excellent pitch. There you go. But the idea is uh, the idea. This is a hard one because it came out um, in such a flood and I was asking myself questions about the social training of neurodivergent people uh, and children. I have children on the spectrum and we're pushed to put them through quite a lot of social training, some of which is helpful and some I've seen to be quite damaging. And I was wondering what, 
would happen if someone got those rules right? What if they really did actually succeed in this goal of being the perfect social being? And what were the ramifications of that? So they were my general questions in my head when I started writing. Um, but in terms of the voice, I just didn't know another way to write the experience of being neurodivergent than the way that that came out at the time where the rules appear in the text in italics as she's speaking. So right now it would be something like don't sit too close to the microphone, don't sit too far away, make sure your voice is engaging and going up and down in its tone, make sure you don't repeat yourself. So you would hear that as it's written in the book. Um, it's People have said it's quite an immersive experience and yes. I almost feel like I should apologise to them because... Uh, yeah, I've had a lot of emails um, about that and one friend who read a draft and has now been diagnosed on the spectrum as well what? because she had, yeah, she identified so strongly with Peter. She actually was like, wow, that's intense and um, has then sought her own diagnosis. Wow. So uh, from the yeah. first idea that you had there, like as you said, the voice, you know, was a... Um, a fairly natural thing like came out naturally for you it wasn't something that you had to um uh think about too much but what was the actual process for writing the novel like, is it's what like you because you've got a you have got a uh, background in literary yeah yeah literary kind of, yeah. can you explain how that might have come into into play here for us yeah i have to because otherwise the story sounds a little bit <laughs> it sounds a little odd but so i do have 20 years experience studying fiction and a PhD in young adult fiction. So what I'm about to say isn't just coming out of nowhere. Um, obviously, I have a long history with books, uh, but I'd been trying to write since the beginning of the years. It's about just two years ago. I tried writing with my children. We wrote a fantasy book and we wrote a chapter book for sort of together as a, an experience to do that together, experimenting because I was stuck at home and couldn't work um, at the time. So... Then what happened is I booked myself into some into a conference at the um, the CYA in Brisbane, the mm. Children's and Young Adult Literature Conference, where you have manuscripts reviewed. And I got a little excited um, as a, and, and booked more sessions, lots of sessions. I just wanted to book loads because I wanted feedback because I missed having a supervisor like I had in my PhD. I wanted the one-on-one -on -one contact from them. Mm. And that seemed like financially a great, investment so I booked them and then I realized that I didn't have a book that was worth <laughs> that was worth submitting so my I really love my middle grade fantasy but looking at it when I tried to write a synopsis and I couldn't and I couldn't quite pitch it because it didn't have anything unique about it that I could really nail and then I realized that's the bit where they say write a better book mm. and I thought this was my shot and that I didn't want to waste it on one that I knew didn't meet the grade. It didn't come up, up to the standard. And they were calling for own voices uh, and I thought I didn't really have a voice because I'm white, I live a very middle-class life now. And then I realised, you know, that I have ADHD and that I thought that could be something I didn't know any female characters with ADHD in literature that I could um, look to. And, you know, so then I thought, well, who are the young adults female young adults with ADHD looking to. So I thought, okay, I'll give that a go. And I had about uh, three weeks. So I sat down and I wrote and it took about two and a half weeks to get the first 45,000 out. Yeah. And then I know I, I, this is a hyper-focused thing. It's where you just disappear into it, but that doesn't mean I do that all the time. Um, and there's a lot of procrastination that goes before and after, but because there was a deadline and I had to do it, mm. and it was an and it had that natural feel, I just wrote from beginning to end, and then I had to go back and put the flashback chapters in because it lacked length. It had to be fifty thousand. I write short, uh, and then I thought, oh crap, what am I going to do? So I went back and put in the flashbacks, but they made it a lot better because they added the depth, and I um, I had enough then to write the synopsis to send in and then I had a couple of weeks to edit before the full um before I had it completely to the point where I was happy with that um and then yeah I took that in and pitched it and it um it went really well I had four requests out of four pitches so 
that went really well. The whole th- it's not what I expected. I was expecting advice and feedback. And so when I got really uh, good feedback and, and the requests, I actually sunk into quite a depression because I wasn't expecting that. And I thought I'd have a, many, many years to struggle and, it, and then it happened too fast. And so I actually just cried and went home and <laughs> that's not a happy ending, is it, to that story? Interesting though, like it's because I think it is that uh, you suspect that was a, a like almost a moment of overwhelm in a way of like okay, okay what do I do yeah. now? But what uh, so you wrote the first forty five thousand words in two and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. You had three weeks to go. You then went and put the flashbacks in to bring it up to fifty thousand. So you went with the yeah. first draft. Am I is that right? I that sounds um, misleading. I did. I do edit very well. I've because doing oh, a PhD teaches you, yeah. yeah. And I'm extremely fussy, but I also write, and I did this with my study as well. I write normally just from beginning to end, and as it comes out, so basically the first chap, the first page of Peter Liar has barely changed, right? Since then, so it comes out quite. Um, but my problem is structure. So I, so I may be able to do that, but I plotting and structure are a struggle so I had to then retrospectively plot so I sort of pants my way through yeah. but then I had to go and look up what's the hero cycle oh my goodness how many so I have to do things like obsessively word count how many words until she hit, hits rock bottom how many words <laughs> until and pages and I've and then so after I've got a draft I have to then squeeze squeeze that into a I start spreadsheeting and I get a little bit um I don't want to say the word crazy because we're not supposed to, but I basically do go a little bit crazy on the structure, trying to make sure I have the right proportions in the text about what happens because I skim the ending and that's where we had to do the work was to bulk out the ending and really process properly towards the end of the novel when it was being edited. Um, So, yeah, structure is my nemesis and plotting. So that's where I then afterwards have to go and get quite strict with myself and you can't just... um, even though the text comes out well, it'll be a case of where do I add words yeah, to make sure it's bal- balanced yeah. uh, and that each character's developed, yeah. Would you recommend that um, you have the whole novel complete before you go and pitch it? Like you wouldn't turn up to a CYA conference with just mm-hmm. and pitch it with just three chapters written I and a synopsis? Don't... Would oh you? gosh! Well, the only I've, the only reason I'm asking you that is because how long did you have to send those requests out? Like when when were people expecting uh, them? They don't. From everything I know, which is based on you know a lot of research, once they've asked you, that door's open, but you take you can take your time. Take your time. Okay. Yeah. So that's when I really went through and made sure there were no spelling errors. I made sure there was nothing else I could do to polish it. And okay. I, was very strict with my, you know myself not to rush and hit send because I'd heard that that was often a big mistake because yeah. they come back from a conference and they may have done three that week and they're going to they're not going to get back to you for months they want you to send your best I'm speaking for people here but from what I um, understood they would rather that you send something that's a better representation of what you can do if you took your time um, yeah, but for me, I had to know how the book ended because I didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> so you I had to write, write it. I had to okay. write it, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. All right, so once um, once you went through that process, how did it come to be published by Alan and Unwin? Like how did you um, – were they one of the ones that had requested? Um... No, they weren't at the conference. I'd oh. pitched to Danielle uh, and some so other – So Danielle Binks is your agent, correct? Yes. Yeah, so I pitched to Danielle yeah. uh, and another agent and some publishers who were doing some were doing there's one doing the 15 minute feedback where they actually read pages of your work beforehand. So they read the first 20,000 or 10 pages or I can't remember which. Uh, and then another other editors were there with a five minute pitch. So you go in and you just tell them and then they say yes or no to send it to them. Um, so there was a variety of types of pitching that went on. And with yeah. Danielle, that was a five-minute pitch. Okay. Um, and so what was the question again? The question was how did it come to be published <laughs> by Alan and Unwin? We're doing well. We're doing yeah. beautifully. Yeah, we're right. So, yeah, so I went in and I had 
so they requested and then um, once Danielle offered me offered to be my agent, we withdrew uh, the manuscript from the publishers who'd requested it so that she could time pitching in her normal agent way. Yeah. So we then waited until March the next year and just sat on it basically. And she had some young adults read it to give feedback and um, anything there. So that was really nice. And then she took it out to pitch and we had a few offers and I chose Alan and Unwin because I spoke to Jodie and um, we just hit it off. She understood the book right from word go and any of the changes that she mentioned were things that I knew needed developing in the novel as well. Um, and so I just felt, and she was very calm and I think I need, I knew I would need that calm presence because Danielle is such an exciting presence. And then Mm. I thought I had a balance. So I had Danielle there to liven everything up and I had Jodie there as a grounding force in the actual, in the book work. So, and that worked really well. It's just the best decision. I feel completely at home with Jodie and Kate who, edited with me and so Jodie is your publisher at Alan and Unwin yeah she's their commissioning editor what's her last name her last name Hmm. now the only reason I'm pausing is that um the principal at the school is also a Jodie and I've been known to mess up my emails between the two very embarrassingly (laughs) I sent my complaint about something that had happened at the school and Jodie Webster from Alan and Unwin said Anna I do believe you've got the wrong journey. <laughs> That's hilarious. So embarrassed because it was one of those rare moments where I was just like, my son is sunburnt. Da, 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 da. You know, those sorts of emails. Anyway, anyway that was so embarrassing. Jody, Jody so Webster, Jody Webster is your publisher. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So was yeah. there anything about the publishing process that surprised you? Like given you do have a background in, in you know, literature youth literature was there anything about it that actually like the actual process of getting the book ready for publication and getting it out into the world that actually has surprised you in terms of the detail of how things happen and when things happen probably all of it but in terms of the content of what we were doing the most surprising thing was just how lovely everyone is that they give you feedback and they write really nice things (laughs) <laughs> or they give you the feedback, you know, they give you the feedback, but they say lovely things. Yeah. And as an academic, I'm just used to basically, you just get the hardcore comments, you know, there's yeah, not a, yeah, yeah. you would very rarely get anything nice or positive. So having those lovely comments was really, uh, it was a bit difficult to hear them and, and was, I immediately think, well, you know, they probably don't mean that, but they just seem such genuine people and to, to have all of that lovely support there and then such deep and insightful editing where, you know, they're, they're putting so much work into making sure that every element is its best and I absolutely just appreciated every moment, to be honest. I really like being edited and I loved the process that we used but I, but I think, uh, I'm not sure if it's always that easy for people. I've got... Um, yeah, the actual going through documents in terms of actually physically entering the edits and making the changes is very familiar to me. So I just spent the whole time thinking, wanting to apologise for silly mistakes I'd made or having discussions in the in the co- in the side. So if, you know, Kate would say something and I'd say something and then she'd say something and we'd end up with this conversation in a word document that's crashing like crazy because we were having changes. this chat. <laughs> yeah, we're having this whole chat down the side about spaghettification and whether or not if you were spaghettified, would you actually be able to watch yourself become stringy? Uh, anyway, we had the most random conversations in the mountains. Which I really loved. Oh, I think I think it's it's good to know that too, though, because I think that also when you um, are not uh, or haven't been through the publishing process, it is very easy to think to forget that editors are people, and I think it's really important <laughs> to remember that most of them, um, if not ever all of them that I've ever met, have just been <laughs> um, incredibly lovely people who just want your book to be the best it can be, even if that's sometimes very hard as an author, because, you know, sometimes to make your be- the book the best it can be, you have to 
do some serious work, you know. It's there, but it yeah. needs to be brought out, you know, kicking and screaming into the light. And I think that yeah. that's, you know, it's important to remember that that's what editors are there for. Um, so how important do you think having an agent has been for you as far as, you know, your journey to publication? How important has it been to have Danielle representing your interests, do you think? For me, I think uh, it was I felt it was essential because I don't know the industry. I'm very new in that way. Uh, and contracts, I would have no idea. And she reduces my anxiety levels mm. uh, often mm. and in a very meaningful way because she can say to me, I am going to go and do this now with your book. And all I have to do is wait, which, you know, waiting's horrible. Yeah. But, gee, it's better than doing that on your own. On your own. And, yeah, and so she's there as well uh, to make sure if I'm not sure what to do in the early stages with the publisher, like, can I say this? Can I do that? And I can always shoot her a quick message and say, you know, would this be okay or would that be okay? And she's always really good at giving advice uh, to me in return about what's normal because obviously I'm a little obsessed with normality mm. and I like to follow the rules and my anxiety over getting things wrong um, could ruin, could have ruined the whole process. Mm. So having her there to keep me calm, but also advocate for any needs I have, um, she's always there. She's just basically, you let me know, and I am there in a shot to make sure you get what you need, and and that's just such a lovely thing to have. So, what sort of impact do you think the Own Voices movement has had on publishing in Australia? Are you seeing the impact of it? Do you think? I'm seeing it in the work that's coming out yeah. and that will then be available to to my kids, to other neurodivergent people and obviously own voices being people of colour, people with disabilities uh, and any, you know, aspect of the own voices movement and queer writing and so we're having a lot more representation there which is absolutely essential mm. and I cannot, I'm... Uh, part of me is mortified it's taken this long yeah. but then also hopeful that now it's happening it will keep happening and that we've pushed this snowball down the hill now and it's only going to grow there's a whole conference that was going to happen in Perth this year for my old children's literature research bunch on own voices uh, that I don't know what's going to happen with that now but uh, and they're just doing a whole conference to look at own voices and its impact and to think that we've now gotten to that stage of recognition within the academic community means there's enough to study and enough people looking to what's happening uh, that it's here to stay and I think given the state of mental health with young adults at the moment I don't think there's another option but to keep developing and to keep working on representation and making sure it's varied which means you need enough mm. you can't have just one you can't just have uh, Sheldon or you can't just have um, the dogs being murdered in the nighttime and things you can't just have one book and go oh there's that book isn't that lovely mm. uh, and you can't just have the hate you give and leave it there you have to keep on producing enough that the variety of people who have been lacking in representation then have somewhere to look where they can identify and feel at home in the world and any sense of belonging because belonging is the the absolute foundational um, thing that will will preserve mental health in young adulthood excellent all good um, now you also have a family how do you fit the writing like when you're writing novels and you're trying to manage you know um, all the other things that go on, how do you make time for it? Mm, I squeeze it in wherever I can. It's Now that I have three children actually in school, uh, theoretically I have more time mm. to my day, but I spend a lot of my day advocating for them. Mm. So on a very basic level, I spend a lot of time talking to schools, to special needs units, uh, and they're often home. So... There's just, and I, the day I started my PhD was the day I found out I was pregnant with my first child. So I've been juggling children and work since forever. Uh, and just, I, with Peter Lyre, I was getting up at five o'clock every morning and writing. I wrote into the night. I wrote after we got home from school. I wrote 
uh, in every spare moment that I had, but also being not taken out of that zone. So when I was writing, I didn't do any other, apart from parenting, I didn't do anything else during that time. Mm. Whereas now, because I'm doing the launching of Peter Liar and, and all the work around that, actually writing new work is really difficult because that creative brain takes a different space. And for me, I need to have the ability to focus in more closely. So I'm lacking that at the moment, given that they're now home all the time. Yeah, Thank it's, you. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that is something that um, that I, I found surprising when my first novel came out was how much time it took to actually, you know, send that book out into the world. And that's, I'm not even necessarily talking about physical things here, but I'm just talking about the Q&As and the, you know, all of the various things that you have to do um, to kind of secure its, you know, safe passage out into the universe and how much of your mind space that actually takes up. So much. When you are trying to write your second book or edit your second book or do whatever it is, wherever you're up to with that at that particular point. And um, I think that that is something that debut authors often, actually often talk about. It is something that I've discussed with debut authors before is just it's a, it, it's like a balloon. It just like expands out that whole section into so much of your mind. And yeah. trying to actually physically squeeze that back into its box so that you can write something else is, is not easy. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm having to just chunk out the time and I've just thought, right, I'm going to give myself over to this process and the virus until that. And then when that's done, uh, and I need to, obviously, it comes down to remind, reminding myself it's okay, this will change again, and then yeah. I will have that time back in the future. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, but things like writing answers to questions uh, online, like blogging yeah. questions, I, I wasn't, I, I mean, I knew that would happen, but the questions for, for me, I, I think it's, as I was saying, as a neurodivergent person, is one of the rules here, do I copy and paste the same answers or is that wrong? Do people find out? Do I have to write new answers every time? Should this be written like I'm talking or should this be written like written speech or should this be? So I have, (laughs) for me, there's this bizarre process of wanting to know exactly what everybody wants so I can give them that. But then I always end up just winging it (laughs) because it always ends up better if I just do that. I just... I have to go through this roller coaster to get to that point. <laughs> so you, you've um, you've recently started a vlog, and you also run yeah. a hashtag #OzChat on YouTube. Yeah. Why <laughs> why did you start those things? A I don't um, know. are they is yeah. that sort of like was that a conscious thought of this will help me build my platform? Was the first question. So the yeah, and the, the second vlog. question is is it time consuming? <laughs> so. The vlog was a conscious thought of there's no way for people to reach me uh, if they're not on Twitter. So, yes, I'm on Instagram in theory. I'm kind of on Facebook a little bit, but uh, Twitter's my home and it's not a young adult space really. It's not somewhere they're looking for an author if they want to find out information. I do have a website, but I don't blog. It's not a skill that I have. And... I know my website's lacking in information and I thought, what am I going to do if someone wanted to know anything else about me, if they're a young adult or someone wanting to um, interview me? They, I've learned, you know, you need more information about someone than just their book because it's hard otherwise. So I thought, what will I do? And I thought, well, one thing I can do is talk a lot. So I set up the vlog idea and I just thought I would just do that and then at the end of the day if people needed any information about me there's a record of you know for however long that lasts it will be there and that wasn't overly time consuming because I hadn't set restrictions on myself that I have to release something once a week or once a day or I left it open to whenever I had time and whenever I had something to say and it was just quite casual very casual and so for anyone who doesn't know what a vlog is it's basically just a oh. video diary right you just basically yeah. get up there and, and it's on YouTube it's on YouTube yeah. and I just record either it's on a topic or on yeah and but I always add in basically what's been going on in my life at the time a little bit of that and then something like what it's like going through the publishing process when you're on the spectrum or what does it mean to yeah those sorts of things um and I was doing that but it is just me now bring on to myself and then 
when the virus came along and everyone was really struggling and I hadn't recorded a vlog because I just didn't, I couldn't focus on that at the time. And then I thought, well, hang on a minute, we can't lose contact with each other. And then somehow I just thought, hey, and I was talking to Kay Kerr, who's another autistic young adult fiction writer with a book coming out same time as mine. Please don't hug me. Very good. And she, we talk a lot being two people in a position that's unusual. Uh, and we were going to do some chats together on my vlog where I maybe asked her questions or something. We'd had this idea and we were just being a bit vague about it. And then we thought, well, what if I do interview her and then, well, chat with her? And then what if I chatted with some other people? And it just kind of took off and people seem to want to just have a chat and you know in a very casual silly way but people kept on saying they would do it and I thought well I guess I'd better keep doing it then and I will until <laughs> until people stop wanting to join me and when and I have this feeling you know it might be something that fades on its own when we don't need it anymore but right now people seem to be feeling very lonely and isolated and I know how dangerous that is as a natural isolator who loves and needs social interaction so there's a there's a paradox for you mm. so I balanced that by having people in my home but I didn't have to go out uh, but time consuming I started it when the kids were still in school so I still had my day to myself where I could physically set things up and and do the recording and if I wasn't writing because I was distracted I could be editing the footage which is great it's great fun uh, but then when they're home now it's a case of everybody out of the living room I've got to talk <laughs> to gotta, such and such and they right all now. Get, someone lock the dog up quick you know and it's it's getting a little harder to fit in but we're settling into new routines so I'm hoping that for as long as I need to keep doing the Oz chat and people still need that in in their world I will hopefully still be able to just keep going uh, even if they slow down a bit because <laughs> at the moment I have a lot. Uh, so if you're looking yeah. for that, it's OzChat, hashtag A-U-S-C-H-A-T on YouTube. Yeah. And is your YouTube channel just Anna Waitley? Yeah, it is. Excellent. And on Twitter there's the hashtag where everything is okay. linked together. Okay, so find together. it on Twitter. It's, it's, yeah. it's in place. All right, so you said that, you know, you're, you're trying to write other things at the moment. Do you have another book in the in the works? Is that is that what's next up um, apart yeah. from your um, contribution, obviously, to the anthology? Is it uh, a new yeah. novel that you're working on? Yeah, I have. Well, I have two, and I, poor Danielle, I've sent her them both and said, ah, what do you think which one should go first? But they're not polished, so it's the first time I've sent a non-polished thing of the first 20,000 words or whatever of a of young adult fiction options and the one that I think that she would choose I really love it was two manuscripts and I've but I've decided they belong together my two characters so it's the first time I've written two points of view and it's based more around disability uh, where one has multiple skin cancer removals um, which obviously is my experience but obviously and she's younger and how that affects how you see yourself because she ends up with the same scar and same lip operation I had where I had mm. two centimetres removed from my lip. And the other character is much quieter. They're both neurodivergent, but they're really different, and I really wanted that to show the variety that Peter is one person and Hillary's one person and Blair's a different person, and they're all neurodivergent, even though they're really different. Uh, but Blair, has, uh, but Hillary, sorry, has Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is a collagen, a genetic disorder, with her collagen which I have and she ends up with a knee operation um, that my daughter had so I'm I'm capitalizing on their on the medical experiences that I know because I'm not a medical doctor so I need to be careful you know what I include there and it's so it's her and um and Hillary's very bubbly and outgoing and so she's uh, always, I always think of her as bouncing off people like with sonar to try and find her edges. It's like she's undefined and so she, she'll kiss everyone. She keeps talking all the time. She's trying to figure out where her body begins and ends. And then, but Blair is very quiet and um, a little bit more just wanting her life to stay the same when it refuses to. And 
is coming to terms with feeling that the scar on her face has made her the evil character in her own life and that she's poisoning everyone basically when she touches them. She's believing that she's this toxic presence. And all that started with a... I read that death moves at two millimetres in 60 minutes and that they've watched it and they studied it and they can see death moving across cells and the speed that it moves. And I just thought, wow, death is progressing across this physical body of the cells and so she is thinking you know how long does it take death to spread through me with my cancer and then through other people when I've touched them so they're both going through a whole thing but they help each other basically even though they don't like each other by the end they help each other accept their disability and their disability community and um and that's sort of an important thing in my life so it's been really interesting to write but a huge challenge it's a manuscript that I picked up and put down a lot that I found really traumatic for a while because it brought up a lot of memories for me mm. about my own because I was awake during my medi- my procedure on my lip um we couldn't I couldn't have a general anesthetic because there was no one available to do it and so I had to have it done under a local um, so you're really drawing to, on personal experience with this yeah, one. Yeah, for the wow. operation, yeah, okay. um, 40. Yeah. Good luck with absorbing yourself into that over the next, uh, you know, however long it's when, – when do you need to have that finished by? Is it a contracted book or is it a – Oh, no. no. This okay. is, so I just kind of threw Ongoing them at Danielle projects. and said, yeah. what do we do now? And then obviously it will go to Jody once we're um, happy with which – because there's another whole one but we'll see which one to go with and um hopefully they like it because it's really hard to follow peter liar it's a really sort of unique book and so i'm in the position that most people are with the second book thinking Mm. what do you do next that could follow yeah all right so uh thank you very much for your time today anna we're going to just finish up with our top three tips for writers but in the meantime where do we find you online what's your website link just we'll put it in the show notes but just in case anyone's you know driving their car right now and desperate to have a have a thought about it i'm at annawaitley.com it's quite boring and i'm at annawaitley on twitter and on instagram at annawaitley underscore writer excellent and yeah. what would your top three tips for um, for writers be? I would say, it sounds a bit miserable, go where the pain is mm. to wherever it is that hurts the most. When you press that bit, that's the bit you probably need to put in to your book. Yeah. Uh, and, that, uh, and this is the second tip, but it's kind of like the f- first, that there has to be loss. But mm. to remember that passion is a kind of loss because it's a loss of your innocence and a loss of control. So all, But all the loss has to go in. They're the moments that make the reader feel and they deserve those moments. Um, but And the other one is if you're having trouble getting traction, you may need to write a better book. Mm. Okay. Well, that's not bad advice right there. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today and a best of luck with your debut. I hope it... Uh, I hope that Peter goes out there with uh, with a huge splash or as much of a splash as she can possibly have right now. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing what happens um, next. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course, How to Write for Children and Young Adults, will help you get there faster. Find your voice, create characters, dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love, all in a couple of hours a week. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning from anywhere and get your very own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writercentre.com.au slash children's author. Cool, Anna Waitley. I love this debut author series. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Like it's bringing – I like the fact that we're shining a light on mm. on new authors. I think that's lovely because it's so incredibly difficult uh, to a, get a light shone on you when you are a debut author, but particularly at this time. Um, and I just, you know, I just think it's really interesting. I think we've had a very interesting selection of yes. – of, of, of people to talk to and we have more to come it's very more exciting. to come yeah, yes more, more well. to come <laughs> all right we're the end we're at the end of this week's podcast what are you doing in the coming week Al? 
Well, I am finishing the proofread of the Firestar, uh, which, you know, you may remember this has been a long and ongoing saga. And part of the reason for that um, is that I I did my proofreads, you know, several weeks ago. And then um, I was ready to send it off to my publisher and they said, don't put the manuscript in the post at this point, you know, just well, given the postal situation. We, what you don't want to oh, lose is oh, the marked up manuscript of oh, your proofread that you would then need to do again. Um, so I held on to it and they said that they were waiting for the the actual proofreader to do a marked up PDF to send me, right? right? So been waiting for that. So the PDF has duly arrived and I have gone through both at the same time, which has been an interesting exercise. Mm-hmm. And now it's done and I am ready to forward that PDF back. This is my last chance to actually, yeah. you know, I have to let go now. This is the moment of letting go of the manuscript and the next time I see it, it will be as a published book. Um, But I'm also writing my acknowledgements, which is always an interesting part of the writing process as well, which is I don't think enough enough attention is paid to the acknowledgements section Mm -hmm. and how difficult it is to write, particularly like, I mean, your first one is really hard because you don't know. You have to thank everyone in the whole world for that. Um, Mm. And then, you know, they don't actually get any easier because you still have the whole world to thank, but you have to think of more interesting ways to do it because you can't just repeat yourself ad nauseum for seven books. So I don't. I actually only write acknowledgements for the first book in a new series. Um, I haven't. So this is only really my third or no, I, no, because I did it for my non-fiction books. It's probably I'm probably up to about seven by the time I actually get to the bottom of this. Um, and it's a really interesting thing because it does change. Like it shifts and changes as people, you know, that have have you've worked with or been, you know, have been incredibly supportive of you or you've been supportive, have moved in and out of your life. But the core group of people that I am thanking each time is essentially the same. And it's an mm. interesting thing because my um, my book, The Fire Star, features um an organisation called the Beach Circle, which mm-hmm. is a an underground network of girls and women who work to support each other and mm. to get them, you know, to to help them to in a world that doesn't encourage them to do what they want to do. It, they work together as a secret society to to get that done. So this book is dedicated. So the dedication and the acknowledgements are two different things. This book is dedicated to my own Beach Circle because. Ah. I think every woman, every girl has one. And I think that it's that it's that group of people, that group of girls and women who have been with you every step mm. of the way. And then within mm. that beach circle, I have a sub-branch because my, my beach circle, I'm pretty old these days, so my beach circle is quite established and there's many branches on its tree. Um, <laughs> but my writing branch is a very, very tight-knit sort of little community and most of the people in that group um, have been with me right, you know, from from day one of when mm. I first started dreaming that maybe I could write a novel. They're still there. And if you check the acknowledgements sections of all my books, you see very, very similar faces come up over and over. Yeah. So I'm working on that. And really? that was a very long and involved way of saying I'm writing four paragraphs of thank yous. <laughs> 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 well, following on on your proofreading, I can't emphasize the importance of proofreading to people because oh, I am man. reminded of an author that I know who, um, you know, did the right things and um, did, you know, went through all the processes of proofreading. But unfortunately, on page one of their book, after it got published, there was a typo. Fortunately, there was it was just something like um, an extra s, yeah. Well, pretty much very very early in the book, uh, around page one, and yeah. fortunately it was an s. It was like an s at the end of a word that shouldn't have been there. Yeah, and I kid you not, so mortified, and it was printed on the paper that was sort of a bit more white. She liquid papered out three thousand copies. Stop it! Really. Yes, really. Secondly, unrelated, but I'll leave you with this that I overheard this week in case it amuses you as much as it amuses me. So um, overheard was, nah, mate, Booktopia is an online bookstore. It's not where you go to read eBooks. 
<laughs> just nah, <can't> mate. <laughs> okay. So, um, am I the? I think I'm the only one cracking up at myself. I think, <laughs> honestly, God, I feel like if anyone else out there is cracking up, then feel free to put that in the podcast community because I'm just like, okay, yep. Probably because when I overheard it, I knew who it was being spoken to. <laughs> Anyway, all right. Anywho. So, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Valerie, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And, of course, you'll find all of the show notes at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.